My name's Shirley, and I'll be reading the Bible for us this morning. <clears throat> and the first, there are two uh, readings. The first one is from 1 Kings 18, verses 16 to 26, where <clears throat> Elijah is on Mount Carmel, where he meets uh, King Ahab. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. And then from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. 
Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Uh, good morning, I'm John. Thanks for the, uh, the warm welcome yet again to open God's word up to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, our Father, for even the reminder through the, the kids' spot this morning that we should listen to the words of wisdom. Father, thank you that you have provided to us those words of wisdom. May you continue to give us ears to hear and hearts to follow. Amen. John Bunyan was responsible for that classic Christian book, Pilgrim's Progress. And in that book, John Bunyan looked at his own spiritual life and he journaled it. He journaled it as if it was a journey, an adventure. He knew where he was heading. He was heading towards the celestial city. But on the way there, he met all sorts of fascinating characters who would help him or they would distract him from where he wanted to go. At one point, he talks about falling into the swamp, which he called the pit of despair. Another time, he was taken prisoner in Doubting Castle. And later, he came to an exciting place that, that dazzled his eyes. It was like, like Wonderland. But it was called Vanity Fair. If you've never become acquainted with Pilgrim's Progress, it's really worth a good read. It's full of insights and wisdoms that, that even younger children can benefit from and, and older children like me can be reminded of and refreshed in. But if John Bunyan had lived 800 years before Christ, if he'd lived in the times of Elijah, then I'm sure he would have included in his encounters a major place, a, a winding track that was signposted the path of indifference. For under King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, as we saw last time I spoke, they'd introduced to Israel this new religion of Baal, this, this new religion that involved Asherah. And God's people, Israel, were strolling along in their indifference to the true God. Even after three years of divinely appointed drought, the people of Israel, well, they were simply apathetic. And as we, as we began to see at the start of um, the, the encounter at Mount Carmel there in chapter 18 that, that we just had read for us, there that contest between Elijah and the false prophets, it shows into sharp relief the disastrous effects of drifting along this path of indifference that had those who were supposed to be the people of God but had in fact defected to an idol. Indifference is a very apt term to apply to Israel's condition at this particular point of time. Foreign Queen Jezebel and, and her imports they were violently opposed to anything to do with, with true faith, with proper worship 
of the one God, the God of Isaac and Abraham and Moses. But it seems as you read through the historical account of kings that the people at large, the Israelites, they weren't as extreme as Jezebel. Rather, theirs was the sin of indifference. Oh, yes, they, they knew all about the Exodus. They, they knew all about Moses. They could recite the Ten Commandments. They knew the true way to worship the true God. But what they knew had little, if any, impact on their patterns of behaviour at this time. There was, there was the framework of the, the old-time religion that was centred on the Lord God, and there, recently constructed alongside it, was the new religion of Baal, with all its fancy trappings and all its sensual ceremonies. And those who should have been the people of God, those who should have been the light to the world, they became indifferent to the faith of their fathers and they had their heads turned to Baal. But even an unconscious drift down the path of indifference, away from what is right in the eyes of the Lord, that will always have a ruinous impact on our spiritual health and on our perception of events. So I want you to think with me today of two of the markers that signpost a path of indifference. Firstly, because they had drifted from the Lord, that three-year drought that Elijah had prophesied and that had come into place, just as God said, that three-year drought where there was, there was not rain, there was not even dew on the ground, that three-year drought had no good spiritual impact on God's people whatsoever. The drought was, was God's curse on Israel for running on after an idol. This was God's chastisement. This was his rod of correction. But for the three parched years, there is no record at all that the people even saw any need to repent. And that brings it right home, doesn't it, to us? You know what it's like when you, when you go into the spiritual doldrums, as you grow a little cold towards God, when we lose contact with what God is doing and why he's doing it. The more we drift, the more we fail to recognise that there might be something askew in our life that the Lord is telling us to correct. And I think there's a direct correlation here. The less you listen to the Lord, the less you hear his words of wisdom, the harder it is for you to discern his voice. The further the way you are from the Lord, indeed, it might be that his means become more drastic to get your attention again. Let's move this into, into a context of, of an ordinary sort of a week for you. The things that you go through Monday to the following Monday. You know, you're going to have your share of so-so days. It's going to be mingled with the washing machine breaking down, that major project at work that just goes horribly wrong. And yeah, one of your kids is sick again and, and your mum needs to be taken to hospital. She's had another fall. It's an average week. But you get by. We all do. 
But God's desire so much for us more is that we do more than just get by. He wants us to recognise that that those little mini crises, those sort of lumps in the road, they might well be God's calling card to draw us into a richer, a fuller, a renewed fellowship with him, into into a constant walk that is even more than daily, that is part of everyday presence with us. We can see the drift in Israel back in Elijah's time so that God was knocking on their door with a drought that was three years old and yet they couldn't hear him. They were deaf to him. But we can be prone to the same indifference even between Sundays. It's easy for us to become indifferent to God to be oblivious to the fact that that he's involved in our lives every single moment. So if you're one of those who's learnt to simply take the tough times on the chin, to tough it out without any reference to the Lord in the midst of it, then what might look to be resilience or even maturity in the world's eyes, it might also be a signpost that we're drifting down a pathway of indifference to the Lord, that we're not really listening to what he's saying to us, that we're not actually asking, what do these interruptions into my life mean for my walk with Jesus? But it doesn't have to be like that. For with Jesus, you can step, step off that pathway of indifference, And we can walk instead with a renewed, wholehearted commitment to his ways. And none of us are going to have to wait very long for the opportunity to put that into practice. It simply means living every aspect of your life deliberately and consciously under his lordship. Being aware that that God isn't confined to Sunday mornings, but he lives with you. And every circumstance of life is yet another opportunity for you to declare that you are not indifferent to the Lord, but that you love him and that you welcome his will into your life, even if that means correcting you and sometimes even dragging you back from the edge so that you can begin afresh to know his blessings and his goodness all over again. We've done a fair bit of travelling around Australia and And you see all sorts of road signs. But I think the most unusual road sign that we've ever spied was down at Port Ferry in Victoria on the south coast. For as you go through the main street of that town, the road follows the river out to the mouth. Well, it's more like a canal that's been dredged and it's enclosed with a stone wall on both sides. Uh, Port Ferry is a fishing village and the trawlers come up through that canal for safe anchorage. It was along here on the road beside that canal that we spied the sign. It was one of those great big diamond-shaped advisory signs, you know, that that orangey-red, orangey-yellow reflective stuff with the black border. Uh, Did it have a pedestrian crossing symbol on it? No. Was it a zigzaggy arrow for, uh, for a curve? No. Was it a picture of a big truck? No. This sign had no words at all. Simply on it was a big black silhouette 
of a while. I don't understand that. Maybe I speculated that maybe the, the, the whales sometimes come up the canal. At least I hope the sign was meant for the, for the trawler captains and not for the road users. You know, it was Sydney Sydney, they're saying, look out, whales ahead. If one indicator of a path of indifference is a retarded response, that sort of retarded response that we've been looking at with Israel. From Elijah's story, we also see a second indicator, and that is topsy-turvy truth. When Elijah finally showed himself to Ahab after those three years of drought, how did the king of Israel greet him in verse 16 of 1 Kings 18? How did he greet him? He spies him and he says, is that you, 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 you troubler of Israel? When we drift from the Lord, when we walk down that path of indifference, our feet are swept from the rock of absolute truth. And we begin to get a distorted view of things. And we place our wrong interpretation on events rather than accepting God's word and his interpretation. We call what is wrong, right. And we confuse black and white. We present things in a, in a topsy-turvy way to preserve and to defend ourselves. We can't be wrong, so everyone else has to be, including God. It's not my fault that this happened. It must be God's fault. Goes back to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? It's this woman that you placed here with me. And that's the same thing that's happening when Ahab addresses Elijah, you troubler of Israel. Elijah, the man of God, the one through whom God was speaking, Ahab accuses him of being the cause of all of Israel's troubles. While all the while, Ahab, the king of Israel, the king of God's people, he'd been the one who introduced false worship. He'd been the one who incited people to bow down to stone. He was the one who'd murdered faithful followers of the Lord God. He had done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the other kings before him. That's the testimony of God's word. Think about that. He'd done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the other kings of Israel. This isn't the kettle calling the pot black. This is the sewer pipe calling out and saying that your best cut glass crystal is putrid. Ahab was a spiritual criminal, but not in his mind. Oh no, it's Ahab. Get rid of Ahab, get, get, sorry, it's Elijah. Get rid of Elijah and all of our troubles will be over. Do you know people like that? People who, when they're faced with their own failings or confronted with their own guilt, respond by turning the tables. They twist the truth and they drop the blame on everybody else. Anyone except themselves. It's the old story. When asked who chopped down the cherry tree, they say, 
I cannot tell a lie, it was him. Do you know people like that? People for whom the truth is a convenience and nothing else? People who turn topsy-turvy to avoid blame? And what is worse, as you talk to them, you suspect that they actually believe their version of events. They need it to be the truth because they simply can't be in the wrong. And so it becomes truth for them. As Ahab was king, he saw himself as the person who could do no wrong. And so Elijah had to be the problem. Topsy-turvy truth distorts perspectives. But before in your head you name people that you think are like this, perhaps each of us should examine the log in our own eye. And we should ask ourselves, just how committed are we to absolute truth? Does our, does our practice of integrity measure up to our profession to be honest, truthful people of the Lord? Or is there an Ahab lurking in the shadows of each of us, ready to, to spring to our protection with a, with a flattering interpretation of the truth when we're cornered? You know, it's easy to be truthful and honest when there's nothing at stake, when it costs us nothing. But the real check on our integrity occurs when the stakes are high. And they are never higher than when we are challenged to admit that we're in the wrong. Never higher than when we're faced with our own failures and, and ungodliness. That's when the rubber really hits the road. That's where we stand or where we fall. Do we play around with truth? Do we, do we fiddle the edges, leaving out bits here and there? Do we, do we ignore certain items, lest they, they cast a shadow over our angelic purity? When the spotlight of God's integrity shines on you, and when it threatens to peel away a layer of your pretense, or to expose something shameful within, then the ball's in your court. And what you do will be an accurate barometer of your commitment to the truth. But let's not lose contact here with Ahab and Elijah. Ahab inverted the truth. Elijah was to blame. And so we could attribute his perverse view of events to a, to a range of motives. We, we could say it was his pride that was on show. Uh, he's always had a nasty streak, him and that boy. His desperation. Maybe it's his anger that's to blame. But the one that I want you to consider is that the more he had drifted away from the Lord, the more he had treated God with indifference, the less able he was to see the truth aright. His topsy-turvy view of truth was a, was a consequence of a loosening of his relationship with the God of truth. When the chips were down, Ahab showed that he couldn't care less about God 
by being careless with what was right and what was true. And if you want to pass your next integrity check without any slur on who you are as a child of God, and if you want to keep on passing them because they're going to keep on coming, then there is one huge favour you can do for yourself in advance. Walk close with the Lord. Keep near to him constantly. Oh, you're still going to have to work hard at being honest. You're still going to be tempted to fudge the truth to put yourself in the best light. But as you keep a close fellowship with the Lord Jesus, as you have an ever-present awareness that, that as a child of God, Jesus lives in you by his spirit, that he is your life, that's going to be the best equipping possible for maintaining pure lips and for keeping truth the right way up. As Paul encourages us in Galatians 2, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life you live in your body now, he calls you to live it by faith in the Son of God. Drift from the Lord, become lukewarm, ah, become a ho-hum to the things of God, grow cold and indifferent, even just between Sundays. And you may well find that your larder is empty, that the pantry is bare, that you don't have the spiritual strength to live by the true truth. And you don't have the spiritual strength to face up to the true you. At the start of things, indifference seems like a, a trifling matter. It's almost harmless. Look, everyone suffers from a bit of indifference from time to time. It's no big deal. I call you. Look at Ahab. Don't look at the start of indifference. Look at the end product of indifference. Look at it when it gets hold of you. And you can see in Ahab that it's a killer. It retards your response to the Lord. You can't hear him when he's calling you, even through a long, long drought. You don't acknowledge his hand in your life. And it fosters within you a topsy-turvy view of truth that perverts reality in order to save your own skin. And in the end, you'll even deny the truth of God in salvation, that he alone can save you. So that in desperately trying to save your soul, you actually lose it. Look at Ahab. The path of indifference. Down in the historic Victorian gold diggings, down there around Ballarat and Sovereign Hill, they'll tell you the true tale of what happened to some of those poor miners in the very early days when their mine shafts were, were suddenly confronted by rapidly rising waters. Those miners had, had dug deep, deep and deep and they'd unknowingly tapped into some underground stream and the water would quickly fill their tunnel. 
Now, they actually had adequate time to, to walk out back through the shaft and to clamber up the ladders or to get winched to the top without drowning. But in the very early days, many of those miners did drown in their tunnels. Why? Three words. Dead man's boots. You see, looking for gold is a, is a messy and muddy business. And so in the creeks and the diggings, it was common at the start to, to wear fairly tight-fitting long boots to keep your feet dry and warm and clean as they went deeper down into the shafts after the gold. Harmless enough until those tunnels and shafts filled with water. The churned-up soil and the subclay on the bottom of the tunnels mixed with water became like glue. And the boots would sink under the weight of the digger seeking to head back to safety. And he'd find his feet were stuck in boots that he couldn't lift out of the mud and that he couldn't get his boots off fast enough to beat the rising waters. As we come to look next week, next month, at the episode on Mount Carmel, Elijah, in verse 21, says to all the people gathered around, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Dead man's boots. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be those who are stuck with dead man's boots, who are caught on a path of indifference and, and as a result we've lost contact with you. We've, we've given up the capacity to, to hear your voice speaking to us. And our Father, we... We end up drowning in our own perceptions of what is truth when we're really just following fabricated lies that we've made up to save ourselves. Lord God, help us to learn from, from this story of Elijah and your dealing with him and the people of Israel that we might learn lessons, our Lord, that apply to our lives here and now, that we will not be indifferent to you, but our Lord God will want to, want to walk close with you, hear your voice, and know your salvation. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.